please join me as we read the last four verses of Luke, Luke 24, starting in verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Let's pray. Father, um, we just thank you for um, these words, and we thank you for our Savior Jesus, and we just ask that as you've given Grant words to give to us today, that we would take them in, that we would um, think about them, and that they would change us, that you would change us, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, have a seat, grab your copy of Luke. Thank you very much, my friend and sister Becky. Hey, uh, I like you guys. I'm grateful to see you today. It's good. It's good. To, it's good to be family with you. Um, it's a graduation season coming up. Just a few weeks. There's uh, all of you teachers are thinking. Yes, it's about to be. I'm about to be able to breathe. I'm totally going to sleep past six o'clock. That's awesome. Uh, we have at least one in the room. Uh, who this is the end of their high school journey, you know, you get, man, I remember, I, you know, if you could go back and tell your 17-year-old self, when I was in this season, like, so what are we, like, we're the first week of May, so like four more weeks, I think Garden Grove High School, we, we went to like three weeks into June, so maybe I had like a month or so left at this point, and I had my eyes completely set on the end. You know what I mean? Like, I just wanted out. I was not a particularly successful high school student. And I had done almost no thinking about uh, the next step. I, I sort of had a plan because I was going to go play tennis at a, a junior college um, uh, called Cypress College down in Southern California. And so I had like, you know, met with the coach and visited the courts and was like, yeah, I'm going to wreck shop here. This is going to be great. It had not dawned on me. You had to actually like apply to the school. <laughs> it's a community college. I'm in the community. Um, I never thought about like I should sign up for classes. I actually signed up for classes. This is how your pastor's college career started. The day before classes started, my mom took me down there because, and, and signed me up. I have no idea what I even did, if I had anything to do with it. I remember that first semester, I got four W's, which, well, three W's, which is a withdrawal, and one F. So that was my first semester of college. And it took a couple years before it got better. Um, but like when I was just ready for high school to end, I had this great idea of graduation, of finality, of like, this school can shove it. <laughs> I didn't know I'd be like so proud of Garden Grove High School the rest of my life. Go Argonauts, class of 91. Here we go. Um, which was a long time ago all of a sudden. I said something about the 90s being 20 years ago uh, yesterday, and Zach was like 30 years ago. And I was like... Sorry about that. Um, I had an idea of graduation. I did not have an idea of commencement. 
and you are going to go to graduations this year. I'm sure you will. I, I was a youth pastor for 23 years. I've, I hold the record for graduations. Like junior high graduations, high school graduations, I've seen them all. I could quote the speech before the guy starts it. Um, um, what a great four years we had. Um, just go off from there. I know the whole thing. It's great. And it needs to be done. It was a great four years for these guys. It should be celebrated. But I didn't have an idea that there was going to be, actually, this was the beginning of something, not just the end of something. And it had nothing to do with the grown-ups in my life. My parents tried to talk to me. I can picture my high school counselor, guidance counselor. I can't remember that poor woman's name, but I can picture her to this day. And I would leave her office going, she wants to fit me into the, her societal box or some stupid like that, you know? And I look back and I go, that woman tried to save me. She tried to help me every way she possibly could, but I was beyond help because I had this idea of like, I'm out of here. I did not have an idea of what was beginning. No amens? Okay, just me. Good. <laughs> I assume this is a very high achieving congregation. I, I thought I'd be mostly alone in that. But we can get kind of lulled into that same thing as we, think, as we look at the ascension of Christ. We can look at it as the end of something um, and miss how vitally important the ascension of Christ was um, in the life of the church. The ascension of Jesus, we should celebrate the end. And you know, I almost like preached these four passages or four verses with last week's passage and then kind of went, and then Jesus went to heaven. But this should be paid attention to. There are things here to celebrate, to meditate on, to learn about who Jesus is in ways that we would really have a hard time understanding without the detailed description of the ascension of Christ. So more than just like a date on the calendar or something that we would kind of work through um, quickly, I thought it would be good to take a Sunday and pause and to just think about this both moment of similar to a high school graduation, this moment of the end of something, but also the commencement of something new. So first, Let's look at the end of Jesus' earthly mission. It is important to take notice of the ascension because it is the end to something. The ascension of Jesus is really part of a series of events that kind of get clumped together for good reason. In, in, uh, in our minds, there's like, when was the birth of the church? When was the new covenant began? All of that. And you go, well, it really was kind of a, a unfolding between the, the crucifixion, the resurrection, and then Pentecost. But in between... The resurrection and Pentecost, we have the ascension of Jesus. And in that transition, those kind of four events, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, and Pentecost, the ascension of Jesus might get the least amount of press for good reason. It might be simply good, though, this morning to just acknowledge that there was a time when the earthly ministry of Jesus was complete. When he had done all that he had come to do, where his mission, if you have ever been on any kind of mission, whether it was a military mission or a trip to the store to get a gallon of milk, there's something worth celebrating when you say, I've accomplished all that I set out to accomplish. At the cross, Jesus had announced, it is finished. The payment 
for sin had been made. Now it is time for him to go. We might look at this not as Jesus' graduation, but as the disciples' graduation. In fact, we're going to see how the disciples react to this, and it's different than I would expect. If I was one of the disciples, as I put myself there and watching Jesus ascend into the heavens, I think I might be filled with trepidation, like I've been his disciple. I've been a follower. I've been a student. I'm not sure what to do now that Jesus is gone. But we're going to see that he had prepared them so well, as all good teachers do, had prepared them to be on mission as he had been without him physically being there. They had been trained at the feet of their rabbi. Now it is time to launch. Jesus had come to earth so that he might conquer sin and death. And he did. There is great victory in the ascension. In fact, I think that would be something to think about, to meditate on. That God, perfect God, God become man, Emmanuel, God with us, the God-man who endured and conquered and healed and parted, you know, uh, or stood on waters and, and cast out demons and did all of that and then endured the cross and resurrected. There was a moment where he went, high five, we are done here. It has been accomplished. There is victory there. Maybe one way to say it is if Jesus was still physically needed, he'd be here. But he had accomplished what he set out to accomplish. So complete was his victorious work on earth. He had come to announce the kingdom of God. And he did. He had come to train and call disciples. And he did. He had come to be a ransom for many, and he was. Listen to what Jesus says in the high priestly prayer, John 17. says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Man, I want to say that someday. God, I heard your voice. I know what you put me here to do, and I did it. Like Jesus as our rabbi, Jesus as our example, Jesus is the one leading us. How much do we want to model our lives after his to where we could say, I know what you called me to do and I did it. He continues, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The plan was not Jesus like ran out of stuff to do, so he ascended to heaven. Rather, in the high priestly prayer, he goes, God, you sent me. Father, you sent me. We decided on this mission. Here I am. And now it's time for me to return to the glory I had before time existed. There is wonderful victory in Jesus, in the resurrection. Hebrews 12, 2 says that we should look to Jesus, the author, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There is something profound about the conqueror sitting down. You with me? There's no more battle to fight. Like, there, Satan and sin and death is still, still bubbling up and, 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 and the Holy Spirit has been sent and we are here to, to do that spiritual battle and all of that, but Jesus had struck the death blow to the kingdom of sin and death. The conqueror has been out into the battle 
and has returned to his throne to sit down victorious. The earthly work of Jesus was accomplished and we should rest in the finished work of Jesus. You know, I guess there are times in our lives where we, where we have a hard time seeing the finished work of Jesus. Like where evil is still pretty obvious and where even sin in me is still like a battle. And when I see the failings of the world and, and I'm, I'm tempted, and I don't even think I, I, it's a temptation. I, we cry out with the Psalms, oh Lord, how long? And yet to come back to no Jesus has done everything necessary. Not Jesus will someday conquer sin and death, but sin and death have been conquered. All that is needed for your salvation, all of it is accomplished. All that is needed for you to be forgiven is accomplished. We're not waiting on anything else. Rest. The king is on his throne. You can rest. All that is necessary for peace, for a heart that is not blown by every storm, but rather can rest at peace in the finished work of your Savior, your King. It's all been accomplished. And we see that as Jesus ascends to heaven. Also, Jesus' ascension reminds us of his current role in our lives. Many commentators, I wish I was like smart enough to have this idea, but, um, but just as Jesus was Emmanuel, just as God came and reigned among us, now Jesus, still fully heaven, uh, fully human, is representing us as our advocate in the heavenly realms. You have an advocate. In heaven. The ascension of Jesus is not the end of his ministry in your life. It is the end of his earthly ministry that he might represent all of humanity. Through one Adam, we all fell. In Christ, we all live. And the ascension puts a spotlight on the current work of Jesus. The second thing. We, we might consider as we're thinking through um, the, the ascension of Jesus is that we should spend some time celebrating the blessings of Jesus. We don't get a lot. So let's uh, look there and read it again, just the first, the first couple verses that, uh, that Becky read to us. Um, and he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands. He blessed them. And while he blessed them, okay, that seems like he blessed them like a one-time thing. It also seems like there was... A time of blessing. And while he blessed them, there was a season of blessing. And I don't know if you've ever had somebody that you admire, respect, who's been your leader, a coach, a father, a, a mother, a teacher, a boss, somebody that, that has just really meant a lot to you, that you were trying to please, just spend some time blessing you. But can you feel the warmth, the love in this conversation? We get more details other places. Matthew 28, we see the Great Commission that Jesus, part of this blessing was instruction to go to 
the call to action, go, a job description, make disciples. He rearranged our target audience, make disciples of all nations. This is the new job description, the job details that we are to go baptizing and training and teaching. And not only that, but as he ascends, he goes, I will be with you. Acts 1, 6 through 8, we get uh, some more clarity here too as Jesus is, uh, is, talks about this ever-expanding, go and wait in Jerusalem and then be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit's going to come and then be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Luke's detail of Jesus' parting words are, are less complete, probably in part because he's also the author of Acts and he's saving some of the details for the first chapter of his next book. Because Jesus' ascension is the end of this story, but the start of the next one. But what Luke does include here is that this, the ascension of Jesus in the presence of his disciples is a time of blessing. That word blessing is... Uh, eulogio, it's where we get the word eulogy. It means to say good words. I dig that. That as Jesus goes to Bethany right on the slope of the Mount of Olives there, and he gathers his disciples, and he knows it's graduation day. It's also commencement day. This is the day he's going to ascend, and they, for the first time, are going to take their like first steps as his disciples without actually following in the dust of his feet. And this is not a time of rebuke and warning. It's a time of blessing. He just, Luke's testimony, and you know, Luke... Well, there's no reason to think Luke was there. He's gathering this from people who were there. And the testimony that he's receiving is like, what was it like when Jesus ascended? And they were like, he just kept saying good stuff. It was just blessing. It was good word after good word. I wonder, of course, this is speculative, but I wonder if part of these blessings is reminding the disciples how far they'd come. Peter, remember when you almost drowned on that lake? Remember that you, you left your eyes off of me and you started sinking and you're crying out, oh, save me. And all you had to do is keep your eyes on me. Peter, remember to keep your eyes on me. Ah, oh, Mary. Mary, do you remember right after all those demons got cast out of you? How weak and confused you were at that time. Look how strong you are now. Would you remember that I'm still greater than that evil? Matthew. Matthew, do you remember when we met you, you were rich and miserable? Look at you now. Restored to your Jewish family, to your Jewish roots. Welcome back in to being a Hebrew man. And at peace following the Jewish Messiah, Matthew, tell this story of how I fulfilled the law and the prophets. <laughs> James and John, do you remember how many times you guys have been fighting about power? James and John, it's been three years of you going, who gets to sit on your right hand? Your mom got involved that one time. She's like, put my boys on your right and left hand. 
Do you see after the crucifixion and the resurrection how that's not the way it works around here? Hey guys, go wash feet. Good words. Final remarks. Blessing. Blessing. Not of a man whose time had run out and well, I gotta go. But rather of the God-man who had accomplished everything, had poured into these people. And now it was time to launch them into the world as his, as his emissaries. Final words from a good and loving Savior. This tells us something about just the character of Jesus. Of that, that as He launches us into the world, it's not like, hey, Go be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And you had better not screw it up. You know your weaknesses. And you better not be tongue-tied. I stuttered like a, I stuttered so much as a kid. I think about that all the time. I, I still, you'll hear me stammer. It's because the words just will not. And every time you go, oh no. Not one warning. Not one like you had better not. Rather just blessing. Just bless. You want to know how Jesus feels about you? Just blessing. Just blessing. So go with my blessing. The mission, the call to be on mission for Jesus is not be on mission or else. Rather, it's go with my blessing. It's not merely the command of God that propels us into Christian life. It is the blessings of God that propel us into Christian life. Are you with me? We do not say no to sin. We do not bear witness in front of other people. We do not do the work of evangelism. We do not love our neighbor. We do not love our enemy because if we don't, lightning bolts are going to strike soon. No, rather, we do it because God so loved us, has so blessed us, that His love propels us into the world to say no to sin. In light of the blessings of Jesus, why would I say yes to sin? It make any sense at all. In light of how, the love and blessings of Jesus, why wouldn't I tell my neighbor? Why would I hold the sins that have been against me? In light of the cross, I'm going to hold grudges against people? It doesn't make any sense at all. It is the love of Christ that propels us into the world to live a Christian life. Now, we weren't there as Jesus is blessing these, this, uh, this group of disciples, but are we not blessed? Should we not respond with lives of worship? Lives worthy of the calling to which we are called? It is meaningful that Luke wants to connect these words of blessing with the launching of the church. Man, the church does not exist because of the threat of God. The church exists because of the love of God. The blessings of Christ. Because this is not just the end of something. It's the beginning of something. It is commencement that this little bitty church of just a few people would go, begin to go into the world to claim the victory that Jesus has already won. So in light of the finished work and incredible blessing of Jesus, 
how now should we live? As we think about Jesus' ascension and his call on us and his power seated at the right hand of the Father and his blessing in our life, how now should we live? Which leads us to the third thing, receiving the commencement and call of Jesus. That this was not just a graduation, that this was not just like Peter and James and John going, well, should we start the fishing business back up? I mean, that was, that was a good three years. We had a good run, man. Like, that was, that was pretty good. No, rather, this was the beginning of the rest of their lives. Look how it starts. I don't know, 51 and following. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up to heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. That's what the shepherds did way back in Luke 2. That's probably something to think about. And we're continually in the temple blessing God. So much worship. So much praise. What a picture of the Christian life. If you have a picture of a super cop in the sky who's about to get you, if you do something wrong, could I show you this little scene and go, when, when, when there is nothing in between us and God, when our sin is not, uh, is not blocking the way, when we are, are focused on God, it is Him blessing us and us praising Him. Just go live your life like that. And the blessings of God and responding in praise. Be loved and worship. That is it. You know, if you look at Pentecost in the, cha- in the first couple chapters of, of Acts, it says they are all gathered together in one place. And we know Acts 1, 8, go and wait for the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem don't leave Jerusalem, and then you're, after he, the Holy Spirit comes, you'll, you know, this will be this expanding mission, and mission that goes to the whole world. And in, in light of verse 24, it does not seem like they've been huddled and hiding for 50 days. I mean, if all you had was Acts, you might think like, well, Jesus ascended, and they were like, oh no, now we're without Jesus. We should go hide. He said not to leave Jerusalem. Let's go hide in Jerusalem. Maybe they went out and got food at nighttime, you know, and like just hid. But that's not what they were doing. Luke, at the end of Luke is pretty clear. What they were doing for that time was continually going in the, in the temple and blessing God. Hmm. You know, the story isn't that Jesus' ascension led to huddled, fearful people. Rather, here's what it says. They were in the temple saying good words about God. It's that same word, blessing. Jesus poured good words, blessings on them, and they could not do anything except go to the temple courts and, and, and say blessings, say good words about God. Like, what are the blessings of God compel you to? What is it that it does in your life? Like, I don't think the focus of your life should be, what do I have to do or else God's going to be mad? I think the focus of your life should be, oh, how 
Great is the love of the Father that we should be called children of God. What could I give back to Him for the blessings that He has poured out on me? I will, I will lift up my voice in the sanctuary. I will pay my vows among your people. It's probably a couple of reasons they responded this way, going to the temple and, and proclaiming the goodness of God. The first reason is probably that they were students of Jesus, and that's what Jesus did when he was in Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem and wait? Well, what are you going to do except what Jesus did? And if we are Jesus' disciples too, we should go and do what Jesus did. Jesus had boldly taught in the temple courts. With his ascension, they had been launched in their own ministry, so they were doing what their master had done. I know it, it's so simple that, that you, we can lose how profound a statement it is, but we should be like Jesus if we are his followers. You are allowed to hold grudges, be bitter, hate everybody that Jesus hates. But everybody that Jesus loves, you are obligated to love. But you don't know what they did. I bet it was bad. Bet it was. But if Jesus loves them, so do you. If Jesus is our master, then our days will be filled with blessing God too. I bet you're waiting on the Lord. I bet there's areas of your life that you are waiting on the Lord as much as these guys were waiting on the Holy Spirit. I bet there's areas in your life where you're like, I just, I just need God to act. I just, need, I just need Him to move. I need Him to do stuff. There, life is difficult. I feel like I know what I want Him to do, and if God would just listen to me and get on the ball and do it, like we'd both be better off, or whatever. Like you, There might be areas of your life that you really feel, I don't mean to be flippant either. Waiting on the Lord is no joke. It is hard, and we've all done it, and I bet that's happened in your life either, is happening now, has been recently, or will be soon. And I guess I would just encourage you to wait on the Lord in the same way that the disciples did, not by huddling fearfully, saying, my arms are crossed, I'm not doing anything, but rather fill your days with the praise of Jesus. The second reason I'm sure they were there was, I don't know if witnessing the resurrected Savior, if seeing Him in His glory, and then huddling in fear and bitterness really go together. It is the power, the might, the finished work, and then the blessings of Jesus that compel us into the world to go. For them, waiting on the Lord was an active thing. As we wait on the Lord, we should remember that. As I wait for God to act in my life, I can either do so with a bitter heart, arms folded, furrowed brow, going nowhere and doing nothing. God, I'm not doing anything until you move. Or I could understand that waiting on the Lord is actually becoming a psalmist. A psalmist. Like write psalms, man. <laughs> like praise the Lord in public. I love Paul writing to his friends and going, look, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. They both have ups and downs. <laughs> But if I live, it will mean fruitful labor for me. 
You want to know how to wait on the Lord? If God doesn't answer that prayer request today, it'll mean fruitful labor for you. In fact, I wonder if the disciples began to reflect some of the, on some of the parables of Jesus. Weren't there parables about a landowner leaving and leaving the servants in charge or leaving people in charge of this treasure? And, and how should they act while the, while the landowner is gone? In particular, I'm thinking about the parable of the talents. The ascension of Jesus reminds us of the awayness. I made that word up. Of Jesus. Of course, Jesus is near. He is with us. He is empowering us, but also He has called us to represent Him in this age. Given us gifts, given us the gospel, and said, Now go be about it. The ascension of Jesus compels us to not bury the treasure He gave us, but compels us to use the talent, the treasure of the good news. To do justice and live humbly and love broadly. So what's our response to the ascension of Jesus? Maybe we should look at the ascension of Jesus in a similar way that we look to the instruction. All right, Ted, just give me a second here. Um, the, the, as we look, uh, the, the ascension of Jesus, look at that in a similar way. As we look to the instruction given to Adam and Eve. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden and said, you're going to bear my image. You are my junior partners. You are going to rule in my stead. Now, I'm the king of the universe, but you are going to govern here. Now, do so like I would. Fill the earth. In the Great Commission, we are told to fill the earth. Go make disciples. We pray. Jesus taught us to pray. Um, I'm praying that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we would look at the ascension of Jesus, not just as something Jesus did to get back to heaven, but rather as Jesus looking at his disciples, those present and us included, and going, would you represent me to this world? This is your mission. This is your job. If you are looking for meaning in your life, I just found it. To image the resurrected Savior to the world. How will the world know what he is like if they don't see it in us? In the same way that God placed Adam and Eve and said, now represent me, image me to the whole world, Jesus, as He ascends, launches us, blesses us, and gives us meaning and mission to make disciples, to fill the earth. We are waiting for His return, but his, in His ascension, we have to accept the responsibility that comes with His blessing. Now, it's a joyful responsibility. It's not a burden. His, 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 the, the yoke is easy and His burden is light. But responsibility it is. That we are adopted into His family and we image Him to the rest of the world. So I'd like to leave us thinking about this responsibility. A responsibility not to 
control the world or to judge the world, but to be the implement of forgiveness. Paul used the word that our mission was a mission of reconciliation, that we would work along with Christ to put it all back together, to heal the broken parts, to call people back to their Savior. Not a call to control, but a call to steward. A call to fill the earth with disciples of Jesus. Christians, this is the point of our lives. The rest is just context. What is it, if I ask you, what is it that you do? Do you give a job description? Do you tell me about your family? Or is your deepest identity in the mission that Christ left us with? As he said, I'm going away. I'll be with you. Now go. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of this story. Lord, it is good to think about blessings from you. It's good to think about your love, Lord, that you haven't left us with just a checklist and a law, but rather, God, you've given us the blessing of your presence, of the, the assurance of salvation and sent us into the world, not with a burden, but with good news. Lord, if there's people that we need to forgive in your name, would you put them on our minds right now and help us to forgive like you? Lord, if there's people that are struggling and feel like there's no place for them in your kingdom, God, would you put them on our hearts that we might communicate that there is room at the table for them too? Lord, if there are people burdened by injustice or, or um, you know, the evils of this world and we have the ability to do something about it, God, would you call us to that mission that the world might look more like the kingdom of God? Lord, as we wrap up the book of Luke, I, I come back time and time again, God, to your Lordship, your call. You are the Son of Man. We wait for your glorious return. And while we wait, God, keep us on mission. Love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.